I'm Cameron Harold, the founder of the Second in Command podcast. Really quick, before we jump into today's episode, you need to know about two important ways that we can help you and your company grow. Number one, check out the COO Alliance. It's for COOs, presidents, VP ops, or whoever is your company's second in command to the CEO. The COO Alliance is the world's leading community for the second in command, and it gives COOs the tools and connections to grow themselves and the company. Head over to COOalliance.com to learn more about our members and the results, the program, and our 10x guarantee. If you qualify for membership, you can set up a complimentary call with our team to discuss if it's right for you. I'll tell you about number two in a bit, but first, let's start this week's episode. The effort does not mean 80-hour weeks. The effort means that when you're working, you're really working, right? When you're folk, you know, working, you're really kind of cranking it out. So again, let's say you give yourself a 50% score there. On the surface, it would look like you're 50% of the way. But the way that it multiplies out is 0.5 times 0.5 times 0.5. That gives you a 12.5% chance of success. Basically, 88% chance that you're going to fail. Welcome to the Second in Command podcast, produced by the COO Alliance and brought to you by its founder, Cameron Harold. In the Second in Command podcast, we talk to top COOs who share the insights, strategies, and tactics that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. Join me in a conversation with Neil Conlon, the host of the Press Forward and Neil podcast. During our discussion, we'll uncover the formula for success that I've cultivated over the years, highlighting the powerful combination of focus, faith, and effort. I'll reveal the pivotal role of unwavering focus in business, discuss the significance of fostering confidence within oneself and the team, and stress the necessity of relentless effort. Together, we'll explore how this formula propels predictable success by amplifying potential outcomes and why achieving near perfection in all three areas is crucial. Neil and I will navigate through the ever-evolving landscape of COOs, touching upon the adaptability of leadership styles across diverse business growth stages. We'll also dive into the integration of AI and business, efficiency strategies, and the indispensable role of high-performance relationships in both personal and professional spheres. Join us for insights on crafting a successful career through diverse experiences, exploring my focus times faith times effort formula and its impact on outcomes, understanding the dynamic role of COOs across various business phases, adapting leadership styles to suit team dynamics, leveraging AI for competitive business strategies, and discovering the genesis and mission of the COO Alliance. Enjoy the episode. very, very excited to be sitting here today with a, a man that I've followed on social media and been connected to for several years. Excited to do this podcast today. Cameron Harold is... I don't even know where to start. He's an author of, of six books. He's the founder of the COO Alliance. He's a father. He's a global traveler at this point. He's doing this podcast actually from Dubai. And there's so much more packed into this man. And I'm very, very grateful to have Cameron here today. So Cam, thank you for doing this from Dubai. Hey, Neil, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Like I said to you in the pre-call, I'm very, very grateful that I've had so many great humans kind of show up uh, really quickly in this you know, journey of creating my own podcast. I'm used to being on the other side of the, of the fence, so to speak. 
and uh, didn't realize like how much work goes into it when you're on the other side of the fence. You had a, a an Instagram post this morning that I wanted to dig into a little bit because uh, you were talking about faith, uh, focus, and I think effort. It just landed so well with me this morning. Can what what went into that? So this is is kind of going back about twenty years when I was the second in command, the chief operating officer for one eight hundred Got Junk. Brian, the CEO, and I came up with what we called our kind of magic formula or the the formula for success. And the formula was focus times faith times effort leads to predictable success. Mm. So for anybody who's listening right now, let's say that you just gave yourself a percentage grade somewhere between one and a hundred percent on how focused you were or how focused your business area was or how focused your company was over the last month or the last quarter. So you give yourself a percentage focus for, you know, were you focused on your strategy? Were you focused on the critical few things? Were you distracted by social media? Were you distracted by problems at work? Or were you able to show up and stay very focused on your plan, very focused on your goals, very focused on the critical few things, you know, very focused on those flywheel efforts that we want to be focused on. So let's say you give yourself a, I don't know, a 50% out of a hundred, you know, focus that half the time you were really focused and half the time you weren't. And then the faith number is how much faith do you have in yourself, in your skills, in your teammates, in the strategy and the plans that the company or your business areas are pulling together? How much faith and confidence do you have in, in all of that yourself, your team, et cetera? And let's say you give yourself, you know, a 50%, you know, at times you feel pretty good and at times you're, you know, not quite sure. Um, you're kind of wavering. So you give yourself a 50% score there and then. On effort, it's how much effort are you really putting in? Like, are you really, really trying hard? Are you really working it? Are you kind of fluffing through your day? Are you fluffing through your week? Are you just kind of putting in the, the bare minimum? Or are you really, really grinding it out? And, and the effort does not mean 80 hour weeks. The effort means that when you're working, you're really working, right? When you're folk, you know, working, you're really kind of cranking it out. So again, let's say you give yourself a 50% score there. On the surface, it would look like you're 50% of the way. But the way that it multiplies out is 0.5 times 0.5 times 0.5. That gives you a 12.5% chance of success. Basically, 88% chance that you're going to fail. So even if you get yourself to 80% focus times 80% faith times 80% effort, that's 0.8 times 0.8 times 0.8. That's only a 51.2% chance of success. Wow. That's basically you've got a 50-50 shot of being successful in your business or in your business area or in your job. You know, I, I would say that take all your cash and go to Vegas and put it on red or maybe black because you kind of got the 50-50 shot, but you've also got a 50 shot that you're going to get fired or going to be out of a job or you're going to kill the business or, you know, et cetera. So to really, really be successful, again, in business, in your role, running your company, whatever, even if you get to 90% focus times 90% faith times 90% effort, you've only got a 72.8% chance of success. Mm. To truly, truly knock the cover off the ball, to truly become a best place to work or a best leader or be you know doubling the size of your company, be radically kind of um, experiencing the kind of growth that we all read about, you've really got to, got to get into the realm of 98% focus times 98% faith times 98% effort, which gives you a 94% chance of success. So the video that I talked about this morning, what I talked about was people tend to be busy. 
they tend to get distracted with the big shiny objects. They tend to work on a lot of things, but they're not necessarily focused on the critical few things. They often get distracted by the important many things. And what I try to do is figure out what are the few things that I can really focus on to get that whole Jim Collins flywheel happening. And the more that I focus on those critical few things, the flywheel will start to show an impact. And once the flywheel is spinning, then I can add other projects. Um, I've been teaching a lot of our members of the COO Alliance recently that that kind of flywheel effort is almost like launching a satellite and getting a satellite into orbit. It takes a lot of work and energy to get the satellite up into orbit. But once it's there, the satellite, you know, travels around the earth for free. So that's what I'm trying to get companies to do today is to, to really apply those principles. Mm, that makes so much sense. Talk to us a little bit about, I guess, the, the infancy of the COO Alliance, because when I started to see you talk about that on social media, I actually had this moment the first time I saw you post about it where I was like, nobody decided to do that already. And, <laughs> and, and, and it's just like so amazing that like some of like, because there's, there's all these different masterminds that are for the CEOs. There's, there, there's the CFO, different types of CFO groups. Even the marketing and sales folks have their own little networky, different virtual things. And then when I saw you post about the COO Alliance, I was like, that makes so much sense and, and so needed. Well, and I just, I just launched a second one that I'll talk about in a second. So the COO Alliance came about for a few reasons. First off, I've played the second in command a couple of times in a couple of companies. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I was the COO for 1-800-GOT-JUNK. I grew them from 14 employees to 3,100 employees in six years. That was from 2 million to 106 million in revenue in six years. You know, we, we, we ended up operating in 330 cities, four countries, um, pretty large business that I was the second in command for, but I had nowhere to really go and learn. All of the places that I was going were filled with entrepreneurs. They were, you know, YPO or EO or Vistage or the Genius Network or Baby Bathwater Maverick. There were all kinds of groups for entrepreneurs. But there was nowhere for the second in command to go and really, really dig into the very specific areas that we have to be responsible for without getting distracted by the big shiny object CEOs who need to stay at that 30,000 foot level. So that was the first part. The second part was I was working behind the scenes, coaching some very high growth, strong companies. Uh, one went on to become the number two company in the United States to work for on Glassdoor. And one of the other ones was number 12 in the United States to work for on Glassdoor. And three of my clients, their second in commands were all talking to each other behind the scenes. What happened was they, they heard me speaking about these other companies. The COO reached out and started networking with the other COOs. And they said, can we get together without our CEOs in the room? And I was like, yeah, I guess. And so I kind of threw up a one page landing page. And 25 hours later, I had 10 COOs sign up paying $6,700 to come and spend two and a half days together. Wow. So I just, and then literally the night before the event, I pulled together an agenda and it was all 10 of you are going to present to each other. And all 10 of you are going to present a problem and get help by the group. And then we'll have some drinks and good food together. That was basically the two and a half days. And at the end of two and a half days, nine of the 10 wanted to continue on. And that was really the genesis for the COO Alliance. And we've now got members from 17 countries. Uh, they're truly the second in command of the CEO. So some have the COO title, some have the president title, 
It's just they're the one who is really effectively running the company if the CEO is in the hospital for six months, right? They're the yin and yang to that CEO. Mm. So that was that was the genesis. That was the reason for it. And then I recently also came out with a book called The Second in Command. And then, as you know, I've also got a podcast called The Second in Command Podcast, where I've interviewed 285 COOs from all over the world from some of the great brands. And I've never interviewed a single entrepreneur or CEO. I've only interviewed the COO. Wow. What's the sure. difference in the ego like between the CEO, right? Who's always going to think they have secret sauce or there's some magic strategy or keys of the kingdom versus like anytime I've worked alongside a COO, it's, you know, it's a, it's all about scalable, repeatable process system, yeah. et cetera. They're, they're very different personality profiles. And, and I'm going to, I'm going to give, uh, I'll answer the question of, you know, what's the difference with the ego positioning ego as a very strong, good thing, right? Entrepreneurs need to have a strong sense of ego and self and faith in themselves, almost to the level of narcissism, because the rest of the world is often telling you it can't be done. And we have to have that stubborn ego presence where we say, fuck it, I'm going to show that we can, right? We, we have to have that confidence. And that's why people will follow us and often quit their job to come and work with us. But we don't even know how we're going to do it yet. But They'll quit their job and come and work for us and help us figure it out. So I think the ego and that sense of self is very strong in the entrepreneurs. With the COO, they're the ones that ask the questions like the who, what, when, where, why, and how to figure mm-hmm. out the plan to make the vision come true. So they approach projects, they approach companies, they approach ideas in a very different way. Entrepreneurs tend to say, here's an idea, let's go and figure it out as we go. And, and COOs tend to be the brakes to the entrepreneur's gas. Or as my sister, who's been an entrepreneur for 25 years says, her COO is the leash to her dragon. Right? <laughs> it's the one kind of, kind of, I say that our job is to save the CEO from themselves. And our job is to shine the spotlight on the CEO to make them iconic, to make them look good. But yeah, definitely approaching it from a very different personality profile. Interestingly, we've had all of our members of the COO alliance have done the Colby A profile on themselves. And we've had all of their CEOs, even though we don't work with the CEO, we've had all the CEOs do their Colby A profile as well. And most of the founder-led CEOs, very different from the ones who are hired to come in and run a company, but the typical entrepreneurial founder-led CEOs tend to be very high quick starts, meaning they start now and they plan later. Most of the COOs tend to be high fact finders or follow-throughs So they initiate or start projects by asking lots of questions or by putting a system or a playbook or repeatable process in place. Mm. And they need to have that system in place before they start the project. So it's that real true yin and yang approach to just scaling the company. And it works really well when you find the right one. I think it's one of the most misunderstood roles and how critical it really is to the success of companies. I remember years and years ago, the first time that somebody had shared with me that, you know, most entrepreneurs will fit into kind of the, the, the three buckets, the one being the CEO, who's that visionary, the 30,000 foot dragon. I'm going to steal that one. I like that one. Yeah. The entrepreneur, uh, the, the, the financial entrepreneur who, you know, looks at the, the books and, you know, is P and L and looks at the, the CFO type, but then the critical one, the kind of cornerstone of the whole thing and probably the, sometimes least 
sexy looking one is the person who's going to operationalize and systematize all those ideas. Yeah. And, and then we've got Warren Rustin who said in the fourth, the fourth box is the ones who st- can't stop thinking about sex and alcohol. <laughs> so, so here's what's really interesting about what you said is Harvard actually wrote an article about 15 years ago called The Misunderstood Role of the COO. It was in the Harvard Business Review, and they identified seven distinct types of chief operating officers. Mm. And the reason there are so many distinct types of COOs is there's equally as many distinct types of entrepreneurs or CEOs. So the COO, again, needs to be the yin and yang, which is the, the logo on the front of my second in command book. We need to be the yin and yang to the CEO. So if the CEO is really strong on three areas, the COO needs to be strong on all the areas that entrepreneur is weak at. Or if the CEO loves to work on three areas of the business, but hates four areas, the COO needs to love working on the four areas that drain the CEO of energy. So you can have a very inward facing COO or very outward facing like I was with culture and brand and PR and strategy. Um, you can have a very inward facing tech focused COO, which I was not. Brian led all of the tech side of the business. You could have somebody who's more of a change agent, right? Somebody who's coming in as the executor, somebody coming in to get things done. Um, Sheryl Sandberg, who was the COO at Facebook for 15 years, was really the adult in the room for the first three to five years that she was there. You know, a 26-year-old Mark Zuckerberg and Cheryl was coming in as the seasoned executive to really help Mark figure out how to build and run a company. So the, the role of the COO is very different. And we're either there for a season, a reason, but rarely there for the lifetime of the company because the company's needs change. And the type of COO often doesn't change with that need of the company. Right, right. And, and, and that, that, that muscle is, is very, very hard to develop. I mean, what was that like for you to develop that muscle to be like, or maybe even now when you go into companies or even in the, in the alliance, to be like, I'm going to build a company to a certain stage and then I'm going to, know, I know when to tap out. Mm. Yeah. So it's about understanding again, like when I started as the COO at 1-800-GOT-JUNK, I was a very entrepreneurial COO. I'd already built two other franchise companies. So coming in to help Brian franchise 1-800-GOT-JUNK was easy for me for the first five of the six years. And I was really more there as kind of a mentor and a partner to show him what to do and how to do it. And then to say, okay, you, you handle IT and finance and just let me build, you know, sales and PR and marketing and operations and the call center and like all the stuff that needed to get done. Once the company got big, when we started approaching the hundred million mark, Brian needed a new COO. He needed somebody who was very detail oriented, mm. not me. Somebody could do matrix decision making, not me. Somebody who could slow down and be more strategic, not me. Somebody who knew how to build, you know, a half a billion dollar company, certainly not me. Um, and the new COO who came in, they actually brought the former president of Starbucks in to replace me. She was running Starbucks United States. She knew how to do it all, but she was the wrong culture fit. So she got let go after a year there. They then replaced her with a, a really close friend of mine who I've known for 35 years. He and I started a fraternity together in Ottawa, Canada. I was president year one. He was president year two. He has been an amazing COO for the last 10 years, taking them to a half a billion dollars in revenue, really from 100 million to 500 million. Wow. But he would have been horrible. He would have been admittedly useless for the first six years because he didn't know how to build a franchise company. He wasn't entrepreneurial. 
So he was the right guy from the hundred million to the billion. And I was the right guy from the two to the hundred. So it's just understanding the season that the company is in, the skills of the entrepreneur and really what needs to be done. And I think Mm -hmm. that's, that's key of any company looking to bring on those executives is understanding, you know, the culture fit and what they're responsible for. Such a powerful statement. Um, and I, I think a lot of people, when they go into this entrepreneurial world, they think they're going to dip into this new, you know, it becomes their baby. Right. And, uh, and you think you're going to keep that baby forever. And I, I think that in this space of scaling an organization, you got to know when to, when to let go and, and the season that you're actually in. So that's just such a powerful well, skill. It's funny. You just mentioned, you know, raising a, you know, a baby. Well, for anybody who's listening that has children, or even for any of us as adults, we, we were raised by parents. And at some point, our job is not to stay at home forever. Our job is to leave the house and become adults. You know, the season that I'm in right now with my two kids is very different from others. My kids are 20 and 22. I'm guiding them a little bit and I'm their mm-hmm. friends. I'm not parenting. You know, my, my oldest son at 22 just flew to LA this week to go to a, a course in the movie industry for the next 30 days. And he's living with two other guys in a, place that I never saw. And he booked on his own. And that's very different than the way that I was parenting him 15 years ago, right? When he was five years old and couldn't do shit. So yeah, the company needs to understand what the role is of that executive. And if you, if you do it properly, it's like nitroglycerin, the the whole company can just really explode with growth. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I I think, I think the, the parent analogy for the business is so important because I think most parents, I think some parents actually do this, if you knew that you had, I mean, I guess it's like if you had a teenager who's an athlete and you had a chance for a, for a scholarship, right. And you could get a coach or you could get, you know, somebody to come in and be like, I'm going to take your child. Who's really good at lacrosse or wrestling or football or baseball, whatever it is. And we're going to give the playbook and we're going to show you the workouts and show you the temp. Like then you're just going to be, it's just going to be a catalyst for growth for that child, no matter which way it works out. Yeah. And by the way, you mentioned coaching. I think any executive, no matter where they are in their career or where they are in the tenure with the company needs to continue working on your skills. You know, I think it was Ray Kroc who built McDonald's that said, when you're green, you're growing. When you're ripe, you're rotting. And mm. I think for all of us in our roles, we need to actually be constantly looking to improve. Improve. Yeah. It's, it's the reason I launched two, two programs. One, a course that I launched two years ago called Invest in Your Leaders, which is the 12 core leadership skills that every manager needs to be really good at so that they can excel in their career. Um, and it's a, I can walk you through what some of those modules are, but the stuff's really not covered anywhere. And it's critical, critical skills. Once you're in a huge company, like if you're an executive at Starbucks, they typically have a good, strong learning department and they're working with the executives on these skills. But when you're in a company with 50 to maybe a thousand employees, you can't really afford to have a solid seasoned learning department there, you know, growing you. And then at best, your employees are trying to find a good book to read or a podcast to listen to. But to put them into a course program where they can self guide themselves and, and really get better is critical. And then I just launched. Uh, about three weeks ago, a program called The Ops Spot. So it's theopspot.com. And it's a mastermind community globally for people that work in operations reporting to the COO. So it's for all the directors of ops, ops managers, VP operations. And we've already got over 100 members in the first three weeks. And we're going to scale that out to 1,000 in the first year. 
And it's a community just for them to share resources and information and tips to grow their skills and to grow their company as well. And I've always believed that a leader's core job is to grow people. It's to to grow their skills and to grow their confidence. And the more that we can flip that upside down so that our job is to grow people, the more they'll focus on growing the company for us. The op spot. What, I mean, wow, that, that, that is a well needed kind of, I, I think, underserved community for sure. It's again, a community where if, if, if I stay focused on what I've always done as a leader and growing the people's skills, growing their confidence, why isn't there a community for them? Right. There's, as you mentioned, people in marketing, they can all go to the HubSpot conferences, right? Unbound. They can all go off to, there's dozens and dozens and dozens of conferences and events and online mastermind communities for people in marketing and tech and, finance, but there was never a a place for operations and people that lead people, managers and all the business areas. If we don't grow their skills, the company stagnates or at best, we just keep doing things the way we've always been doing them without any training whatsoever. I, I talked to a group of CEOs recently. There was about 200 CEOs. And I said, how many of you in the audience have had at least an hour's training on how to do a proper job interview? And there were seven, seven people said that they've been trained on how to do an interview. And then I said, how many of you have actually interviewed and hire people? And all 200 put their hands up. I'm like, 193 of you have no idea what you're doing. And you might be doing it well, but you might have just been doing the same shitty job interviewing for the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's why it's hard to find people is you have no idea what to do it. We would never send our kid off to play Little League Baseball without teaching him how to hold the bat or toss the, the ball or catch the ball. We'd give them the basics. Otherwise, they'd come home from baseball practice and say, Daddy, baseball sucks. It's like, no, Johnny, you suck at baseball. <laughs> you know, the reason that business is so difficult, because business is actually really easy. The reason business is so difficult is almost every business leader out there has never been trained on how to lead and grow people. Mm. That, that's why it's hard. Well, what are some of the other common themes that are coming up in the CEO Alliance, especially, I guess, with you know all the changes going on in the in the world right now from a business perspective, economic perspective. What are you seeing? Um, one is just thinking about the business and trying to control the amount of waste, whether it's waste on people, time, and money, right? So that they're not actually churning through um, and blowing through their resources. That's one. Second one is making sure that they are. Um, leveraging AI. We were talking at one of our recent CEO Alliance events and we said, the only people whose jobs are at risk are the people who are not leveraging AI. Anybody who is worried about AI and learning it, they're going to be fine. Anybody who's using AI on a daily basis, their jobs are going to be fine. But anybody out there who's worried about it and not learning, they'll be out of a job. Um, another area that people, especially in the COO world, are focusing on and thinking about is how can they build a better relationship, better communication, better level of trust with their CEO, right? It's like a, a spouse that wants to go through marriage counseling. If you do it early, my wife and I got married a year ago. We started doing marriage counseling that month so that we could build a high-performing relationship together. We're not going to wait until we have struggles to get counseling. We're going to start getting coaching around marriage right at the beginning. And there's a lot of COOs that are out there focusing on building better relationships, better level of communication, better levels of trust with their CEO and with members of their leadership team as well. I wanted to take a quick break to tell you about something. The other day, I read about a COO writing about when the going gets difficult 
and how they were happy to be in the CEO mastermind group that they were. It made me remember that that's why I started the COO Alliance. It's a peer group and community for COOs and seconds in command of companies doing 5 million to 250 million in revenue. Our core group meets monthly online with other companies like yours. It's amazing because you get your frame broken tons of times. And when you think there's only one way to do something and one way to feel about something, you get your perspective completely changed on a regular basis. We also host hundreds of COOs on our monthly mastermind calls and smaller groups twice a year at our in-person COO Connect events. So if you're the founder or owner of a fast-growing company, tell your COO to check it out. And if you are the COO, head on over to the COOalliance.com to learn more about becoming a member today. All right, back to the podcast. Let's go back to the AI thing for a minute, because that's obviously a hot topic for a lot of folks. I was working with an AI startup back in 2009, 2010, was the first one I started working with and um, kind of saw, I think, a lot of the emotions that people are going through now, now that now with uh, chat GBT and uh, several of the other ones that come out, I think I went through those emotions back in 2010, um, even before it was so generative as it is today. For folks who are really like, where do you think folks start with that? Because I, th- I think it's so interesting that how quickly it's evolving. And I think the smart people that are coming up with cool prompt systems, building building on top of AI things, like where do you think people should start at? Well, the, the first starting point is realizing that AI is not ChatGPT. ChatGPT is one of a current 5,040 different AI tools that are out there. There's roughly 1,500 different tasks that can be performed using different types of AI. So it's photo editing, video editing, you know, speech. Uh, there's all kinds of stuff that can be done. So I think the area that people have to start is by spending about one hour a week at minimum, and this is everybody at every level of every company, should play with, and, and I'll give you a great tool. I just dropped it in the chat called There Is an AI for That. If we can share that with your listeners, If you play with that tool and look at the different tools that exist and try to find somewhere between two to five tasks a week that you can automate or optimize or, you know, hack in in these different ways, just play with these different tools. So if you're a video editor, you're probably not going to use chat GPT at all, but you might use mid journey or you might use, you know, Descript or you might. So playing with these different tools and trying them out in your job is probably the best way to go. And then what I would have companies do is report back in kind of like the old 1980s version of the suggestion box. How about we report back in on a weekly basis, the one or two things that we just use some AI tool for and how we helped our company get more efficient or how we helped ourselves get more efficient. So imagine Mm -hmm. if everybody in a company played with AI and then reported back in and said, hey, here's something I did. Here's something I tried here's something I learned, and here's the tool that I used, that could be a very, very powerful debrief with the rest of the company. That's how I would get started. It's interesting. I I recently was um, in a meeting uh, with a uh, casual food franchise. And I thought it was really, really interesting that um, they were very, very focused on, I'll call it the low-hanging fruit, increasing their marketing spend, 
generating some new sales. And I was listening in this meeting and I was actually really surprised how I think most of their senior leadership was there. And nobody was really addressing the, this word efficiency. Like, how do we get more efficient? Yeah. My, the working title for my very first book, Double Double, was originally called How to Get More Shit Done with Less People Faster. And if we're not addressing the opportunity to automate and optimize work, how to actually leverage tools that, are, that exist like AI, I think we're out of business. You know, I heard a saying years ago that's really always struck me. And it's if the rate of change outside your business is greater than the rate of change inside your business, you're out of business. So if executives are not not only embracing these tools, but but proactively trying to get their employees to, to leverage them and embrace them, they're out of business or they're out of jobs. Mm -hmm. um, now, I saw an executive on a plane. This is probably going back 10 years ago, but he was literally typing with two fingers you know, on his laptop. In my mind, I was thinking if I was on your board, I would give you three weeks to get your typing skills to 70 words a minute or I'd fire you. Like you cannot be productive as an executive in a company. Now we know that to be true today. Those executives are literally out of jobs. Now you look at 25 year olds that are leveraging Zapier, Zapier and putting all these automations in place inside of companies. 25 year olds can kick a 55 year old's ass into work today because they can leverage a tech stock and automate work and see it in a very different way. So I think companies also need to find a bunch of 25 and 30 year olds, part-time freelancers, global people, whatever, to come in and help us understand AI, leverage AI, integrate AI, and also find other technology tools to automate and optimize our workflows as well. But if we're thinking that we're going to keep working harder and we're going to out hard work our competition, we're going to end up like the fly on the windowsill. Working hard is like trying to bang your head on the window mm. and get out the other side of the window. You end up dead on the windowsill. And I think that's what's happening to a lot of companies today. Yeah, I, 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 I think that's just going to continue. And I think it's going to be the, the new skill set is really going to become about how can you do things more efficiently versus, you know, work like the Scrooge McDuck work smarter versus harder kind of theme. Yeah. My, I think that the old Protestant work ethic that our grandparents told us, you know, work hard, work hard was actually probably good for the 1970s. But now that we have automation, we have tech tools, it is about working smarter. It's about, frankly, finding like the to-do list doesn't mean we have to do it. All the stuff that has to get done, the first thing we have to do is say, do we really need to do it, right? Before we outsource stuff, let's really ask ourselves, do we need to do these things? Will we get a high enough ROI off the money and time that is put into those things? And should we just kill them right now? That's step one. Once we decide if the things we're going to keep, then this, the, the key is not to, to outsource it yet, but to optimize the system, right? Don't, don't outsource a bad system. Let's see if we can optimize the system to make it faster, make it leaner, make it simpler, right? Mm -hmm. Then again, before you outsource something or before you hire somebody, let's see if you can automate it. Because if you can have a system doing it for you, that's way better, way more productive. You're going to get higher ROI than hiring or outsourcing. Then you go to outsource and then you just delegate to somebody, right? So it's stop, optimize, automate, delegate, you know, or sorry, outsource, delegate in that order. I want to go back to, you said something that I wrote down here in my notes as I'm building my podcast notes. You said something I haven't heard many people speak to, high performance relationship. Last week, I had a gentleman on the podcast, Miguel Garcia, uh, has been married for 39 years, 
owned eight businesses, sold three of them, had 15 children. And hands down, he was just this beast who just, you know, was like every day, three, three meals, 15 children had to get three meals a day every day. So entrepreneurship became his thing. Like there was no right. other option, but he, he, he credits the whole entire old success on being in a high performance relationship and having the right partnership and the right support system in place. And the fact that well, you're just in the beginning of that is amazing. Well, I think you need to have high performing relationships at all areas of your life, right? Like you really need to work on your relationship with your spouse, with yourself, with your kids, with your, with your peers that you work with, with your direct reports, with your friends. I think anybody that really works on those relationships at all levels and kind of every, every area of our life, they're the ones who are going to be able to, to get more done, right? The, the relationship with your spouse is going to make you feel better. You're charged up. You go into the day in a good way. You're, you're doing it for a reason. You get to share stuff with somebody in an exciting way. You get to share the journey because at the end of the day, none of this shit matters. This is just what we do to make money, right? We're, we're all walking each other home. We're all going to die. So the time that we spend at work may as well be for a cause or, or to at least earn enough income to do the cool stuff with your spouse and your kids and yourself, right? But then at work, you need to have those high performing relationships as well. And too often I see executives really working hard, but not working on the relationship with their boss. They might bitch about their boss. They might complain about their boss. They might try to avoid their boss, but they often don't work on that relationship. They often don't get a marriage counselor to work with you and your boss, right? I, I have a, a woman, Dr. Patty Ann Tublin, who's speaking at our COO Alliance event for this month. And she's a high performance marriage counselor for Wall Street power executives. Wow. She also works with CEOs and COOs or COOs and VPs. And she helps them bridge the gap and work on communication and trust and calling them on their bullshit and their blind spots. And you have to continue to do that at all layers of the business. If I have really high performing relationships with each of my direct reports, they'll go through brick walls for me to grow the company. But if in any way our relationship isn't strong, our communication isn't strong, the trust isn't strong, then at best, I'm pushing rope, right? I can't get the results from them. So I think it's critical that people work on that. In a different podcast, I had this gentleman on, his name is Will Baggett, and he's a strength and conditioning coach for uh, NFL players, or I'm sorry, people who are going to the NFL, just to be okay. clear. Yeah. And what's interesting is, is that he saw people who would come to, come to him, his programs, some of them would go off to prison and some of them would go off to the NFL to make hundreds of millions of dollars. He said that over and over again, I asked him, I said, I said, what was the, what's the, where, where is that little thin line? Where is that thin line change for you? And, and he was adamant about that. No matter how good the person was, how athletic the person was, how just naturally gifted the person was, it was always the differentiator between, you know, good and great or high performance was that person who could consciously seek coaching and say like, Hey, point out the thing I'm missing here, point out the thing that I may be not paying attention to and, and help me fill in that gap. And, and again, coaching can come from your peers. It can come from your church. It can come from your friends. It can come from your parents. It can come from teachers or it can come from like formal coaching programs that you might be paying somebody. But I I've seen people that have come from, you know, the poorest of the poor 
like super homeless, you know, single mom raising four kids. Um, I, I have a, a very close friend who never owned a new pair of shoes until he was 13 and never rode in a car until he was mm. 12 or 13 had never been to a grocery store until he was 12 or 13 because they were on food stamps. But he had a really good circle of friends that he spent time with. And they talked about what they were going to do when they were older. And mm. they decided to try to break out of it together. And, you know, this guy's the CEO of a pretty large company with about 500 employees doing about 50 million a year. He's a YPO member. Um, so he, I, I kind of grew up lucky, right? I grew up with a mom and dad that were together and middle class. My dad ran his own business grew up in the church and like friends and sports. I kind of had it lucky in a way, but I still had to, to work on those relationships as well. I think, I think it's a choice that people work on that stuff. Yeah. Well, you, and it can start, it can start later too. Like I didn't go to any counseling or therapy until I was 52 years old. I went to my very first sessions with a counselor or a therapist when I was 50, uh, 51 years old. And I did over 50 sessions with Dr. Patty Ann Tublin when I was, you know, in my 51st year of life and went, I went in deep, man, like deep. <laughs> but some will say that's the only way to go, man. She was not easy on me at times, but she was good. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. What are some of the other places that you focus on when it comes to high performance relationships? So you've already, you, you know, you've already said, you know, coaching, you've already said, you know, th some form of therapy in some way, shape or form. What are some of the other factors? Well, I'll go, in, I'll go into some of the skills that I cover in my Invest in Your Leaders course, because I think that's really where I, I package them all, because they're not in any of my six books. So if I was, I'm going to try to go off the top of my head and rattle them off. The core skills that anyone in business needs to be good at to excel in their role, whether they're a CEO or a COO or any executive or manager, situational leadership, coaching, delegation, one-on-one -on -one meetings, interviews, project management time management, running effective meetings, classroom teaching, managing conflict. Uh, there's two others in there that I, I'm going to skip on right now that I can't grab. That's 10. Those, at least those 10 core skills are so paramount. And most people have never had any training in that. Like you've run meetings your whole life, right? You've run Zoom meetings and in-person meetings and phone calls. Have you ever had at least an hour meeting on how to run highly effective meetings? I actually have, yes. Yes, but you're, you're one of the few, right? And most executives have had no training on running one-on-one -on -one coaching meetings, but they do run-on-ones. They've had no training on running leadership team meetings or, you know, town hall meetings or state of the unions or annual meetings or quarterly planning meetings. Like they've never, but they're doing it all the time or, or situational leadership, the ability to adapt your leadership style on a situation by situation basis. So that if you're leading one person, like let's say I have um, a guy in my team, Jesse, who's my head of business development, there's certain projects that I will be very kind of micromanaging with him. There's other projects that I'm going to kind of brainstorm and work together with him on. There's other project areas I'm going to let him just work on it on himself and come to me if he has problems. There's other areas we'll never talk about and I'll never even praise him on because he's freaking unbelievable at it. And that's the same person who's making 300 grand a year that I adapt my leadership style on a project by project basis. And I do that with all 13 of my direct reports, right? Mm -hmm. I adapt my style. So that's a, a key skill for executives to understand is the four different leadership styles, how to decide what style to have and how to actually apply it in a way so that you're leading your direct reports in a way that they're striving to be led. Those are the kinds of skills that people need to be better at. 
coaching is something we use day to day as a leader, right? Helping somebody get better in whatever they're working on, understanding when to apply praise and when to apply direct feedback and how to provide, you know, growth and feedback, how to get your subordinate or the person that's reporting to you to come up with their own areas of feedback so that they're more open to listening to you. Or delegation. It blows me away that executives have never had any training on delegating work. And we delegate work all the time. Mm-hmm. But Parkinson's Parkinson's law says that work expands to fill the space that we give it. So if you don't delegate properly, then of course your projects take longer than you want because you're not delegating in a proper way. No different than asking an executive to, hey, Neil and I are going to grab dinner, get dinner for us. My EA could say, you know, plan dinner. My EA could plan the best steak dinner with like unbelievable restaurant. We could drop 500 bucks on dinner for two. But what I really meant was like get Chipotle delivered with, you know, Uber Eats. And we're just going to sit at my home and, you know, have some water and grab dinner and do some work. Right. Because I because I delegated it poorly, she overspent on budget and wasted three hours of our time having to go to where, you know what I mean? So that's an area that I think executives need to be better at. That's why I launched the Invest in Your Leaders course is to help executives understand the key systems that they need to be more effective in their roles so that they get promoted, so they don't get fired, so that their team likes them, so they get more results, and so that work gets easier. It is fascinating to me that things like body language, delegation, and a bunch of situational leadership and a bunch of other points that you made... It's like that probably makes up 75% of the job. For a leader, it does. For, for, for anyone really leading people, it's at least 75 because the ideal state is we're not supposed to be doing work. In an ideal state, the leader should be doing nothing other than delegating work and then growing the people's skills and confidence so they can take more off their plate. That's what really propels the growth of the organization. And as soon as the leader has the confidence that our job is to recruit and attract great people, onboard great people, and delegate more to them. But the more that we're sitting doing work, the slower our company is actually going to run. Hmm. Right? It needs to get done, but not by me. Right. And then, then also taking, I've been working with all of our COO Alliance members on this. Take a look at what your effective hourly rate is. And then delegate anything below your effective hourly rate. Or as Dan Martell in his book, Buy Back Your Time, he gets even more conservative and says, take your hourly rate, divide it by four, and at least delegate everything less than that. So if you're you know, a $240,000 a year employee, that's about $120 an hour. Divided by four, that's 30 bucks an hour. Why the hell are you doing any minimum wage or $25 or $30 an hour tasks? Like, Why am I paying you $120 an hour to do $30 an hour work? It makes no sense. Yeah. Right. My EA, who's been with me for eight years now, I got her to hire an assistant six months ago in the Philippines so we can get a lot of the admin work off Meredith's plate so that she can now have a $6 an hour person doing a lot of the admin stuff for us. Right. I don't want to be paying Meredith's 96 grand a year. I don't want to be paying her 46, 48 bucks an hour to do $6 an hour tasks. It doesn't make any sense. Right. Right. I go back to the mindset shift in that is so critical for people to understand that because a lot of people, you know, especially with the, I guess, some of the AI stuff coming on, it becomes about why are you taking away the thing from me that I, you know, used to do or focus on versus like, you can, you can rage against that, but it's coming in fast and furious. So I I would say, learn to embrace it, learn to embrace those tools. Because again, the only executives that are going to be in trouble because of AI are the ones that don't embrace AI. 
the, the executives and leaders that embrace AI are going to become indispensable, right? They're going to be the ones that are supercharging the company. We'd never, ever chance getting rid of them. Yeah. You know, yeah. if my grandfather, let's, let's say your, your grandfather and my grandfather or great grandfather's you know, wrote us a letter a hundred years ago, a letter, you know, advice to Neil and advice to Cameron, their advice would have been be a really good farmer, be really good at raising animals and be really fast at riding horses. So you can get from point A to point B. None of that advice is fucking relevant today. We have grocery <laughs> stores and Uber eats and I got a car that drives me like as best as their advice would have been a hundred years ago. It's completely useless today. Well, these layers of technology that we can use to, to to take and scale our companies make everything we do and the way we do it completely irrelevant. And we can hold on to the past and get really good at farming and, you know, raising animals and riding horses, or we can adapt. I, I say adapt or die. Yeah. And, and, and the cycles at which this is now moving is so different. I, my, I happen to have uh, both of my grandfathers uh, still alive. Okay. And uh, and my one grandfather on my mom's side, every year on his birthday, I ask him, tell me a story. Tell me something about when you were like little that like you recall so we can talk about it. And I think it was his last, maybe two birthdays ago. I said, you know, tell me, tell me something that blows your mind about the world today. And he told me this story about he's like, um, he's like, I remember uh, growing up in, you know, he grew up in Brooklyn, New York. He's this little old. Sicilian Italian Brooklyn guy. Uh, he's like, I remember my having a birthday party and my dad took me to the bowling alley and uh, we were bowling. And uh, when you would bowl back then, little poorer, because everybody's poor then, poorer kids would climb out of the rafters and reset up the pins and then roll the roll roll the roll ball, ball back, back to you. Yeah. And he's and he goes, Now I can bowl on my iPad. Crazy, right? <laughs> it's it's insane. My my grandfather rode a horse and buggy to Christmas dinners, and his first telephone number was twenty seven. <laughs> like his the village the village that he was in, he had the number. Tw- I still have his little ruler with his phone number twenty seven. I'm like, that's ridiculous. But like, there were only probably fifty telephones in the whole village in the first place. Right, right, and you know? and, and and I think why that's important is lo- I think a lot of people. Uh, disconnect from like how I mean like if that took the the bowling alley right the the, the phone number twenty seven down to you know now mobile phones now voice to phone call thirteen years ago twelve years ago you know two of the big classic ones are you would never think about putting your children in a car with strangers or you would never think about giving somebody a room in your house and now right. Airbnb and Uber you know and that whole world has just shifted what is possible totally yeah the, the speed of the speed of change is very very relevant and very on time and i think again to your point listening in on any of these executive meetings if if teams are not talking about this on a weekly basis i think they're definitely in trouble like i have a note i'm talking to my leadership team in an hour and one of my notes that i'm going to be talking to them is related to this and it's uh, AI use case in each of your areas and sharing AI updates on a weekly basis. I'm, I'm literally going to be talking about that today. I used AI this morning just for fun and I did 20 emails. I had chat GPT write 20 midsize and 21, you know, one sentence emails about the op spot. And it was like a five minute task for me. And then I spent mm-hmm. about 10 minutes, you know, making them actually perfect because it, it had a couple things slightly off, but 
to come up with 20 emails over the course of total elapsed time for me was an hour. I could have never done that an hour before. Now I send them off to my email guy and I challenge him to start using ChatGPT. I just wanted to try it and see. But then I can say, okay, here's what I did. Here's what I tried. Here's what I was successful at. Now you go do it, right? And start doing this all the time. Um, anyway, I think we're kind of flogging a dead horse, but it's a it's a very relevant away course. Yeah, for sure. Well, you know, one final question here. In your experience in, in, in the Alliance and 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 the things you're seeing, what do you think are some of the things that are on the horizon that are really exciting for you? Well, for me or for my clients, I think for for my clients, what's exciting is the ability for them to connect with a, a global group of COOs, right? We've got members of the CO Alliance from 17 countries. Wow. We launched the, we launched the Ops Spot three weeks ago, and we've got members, over 101 members already, and we've got them from seven countries in the first three weeks. I think there's a huge opportunity for them to learn from each other. The amount of differences and similarities that that people in these operations roles are seeing and learning from a global perspective is huge. The ability to hire people in Eastern Europe and Latin America that you can outsource to that have very, very strong functional depth at a fraction of the cost in the United States and Canada is extraordinarily huge. Um, I think anybody that is like, I'm only going to hire people in the US or Canada, you're out of a job. Like you're out of your, your business. Like we need to, to adapt or die. So I'm really fascinated by that global perspective that's happening for all companies and the ability to attract talent and retain talent and leverage talent and learn from talent all over the world, I think is really cool. For me, it's my wife and I, we're just living our bucket list life. We've both created bucket lists that we share publicly with about 101 different things that we want to do and cross off. Last week, we were hiking in Uganda with gorillas. And next week, we're driving in Western Europe, hitting six countries by Porsche with 12 other couples, each driving their own Porsche. And we're doing, you know, a different castle every night. And just we're literally chewing through our bucket list. So that's kind of what I'm focusing on. I love that. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah I'm watching your, uh, your social media and having you post something very business savvy, very business-like for a couple posts. And then the next thing you know, you're on a boat or doing a photo shoot or in Uganda is pretty, pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah. Well, we're, we're, I think it's, it's lifestyle by design, right? We're my, my wife is, as she calls it, the captain of our bucket list life. I'll drop our bucket list into the chat if you want to share it or you want to read it, but we're just trying to inspire others and then also live our best lives. And we, we both realize that at the end of the day, none of this shit matters. This is just what we're doing to make money. We may as well have fun along the journey because we're all just walking each other home. Yeah. I, I love that. What a great quote to wrap up here with. We're all just walking each other home. So. Cameron, thank you so much for giving me, uh, giving us your time today. Uh, very appreciate it. And for anybody who wants to follow along or, or join one of your programs, what's the best way for them to connect with you? Yeah, definitely take a look at the COOalliance.com if you're a second in command. And then anybody in operations, definitely take a look and join the opspot.com. And then all six of my books are available on Amazon, Audible, and iTunes. And lastly, check out the second in command podcast anywhere that you listen to podcasts for sure. Yeah, man. Thank you for that, folks. If you uh, if you get the opportunity, please do follow Cameron on his journey. And uh, I'm going to post the uh, his bucket list here, as well as the AI uh, link that he sent for uh, there's an AI for that in the show notes. And Cameron, thanks again, brother. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Neil. Appreciate it. 
You've been listening to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance founder, Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like, share, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and our other podcast streaming platforms. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com.